This episode is sponsored by Linode. Do you need a Linux server for your latest creation? Then check them out. They provide SSDs, 40 gigabit per second network connections, and top of the line hardware to run your server on. It deploys Linux in seconds from the Linode cloud and you can choose your Linux distro and node location right from the manager. They have locations in Asia, North America, and Europe, and they have a sweet set of tools to make it easy to manage it. If the web interface isn't your thing, they also have an API and a command line. So definitely go check them out. They also provide two-factor authentication, IPv6, DNS manager, cloning, scaling, and everything else that you want. So definitely get the most out of your Linux node and check them out at linode.com. And check them out at devchat.tv slash linode. Hey everybody, and welcome to another MyJS story. Uh, this week, our guest is John David Dalton. John, do you want to say hi? Hi, it's me, JD. Do you prefer JD? Oh, I'm not picky. Not picky. But you, I'll just say sure. Nice. Now, we've had you on JavaScript Jabber, haven't we? I couldn't find the uh, episode. I believe so. And I probably was talking about Lodash. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I believe so. And it was... It was probably quite a while ago. Yes. It's easier to find the more recent ones. So, yeah, I think you're pretty well known out there in the JavaScript community with all that you've done in Lodash and some of these other contributions you've made to JavaScript. And we're going to dig into that. But I, I kind of like to back way up and get people's origin story and okay. see, okay, you know, how did this all get started? And look, he's really human, I promise. Yeah, yeah. So how did you get into programming? So... This was probably when I was a, a junior in high school, and uh, there was a old World War I flight sim that I used to play online over the 56K modem, um, and I <laughs> got involved. Days. Yeah, and I got involved with a flight squadron, and so we would all get together online and fly these this old video game, and and uh, they needed a website. Um, so I created like a GeoCities website uh, for them, and uh, that's what got me into JavaScript because then I had to enhance the page with mouse over effects and like the, the cursor trail and all of that stuff. And from there, I started doing things like I created a, a, a Dr. Wiley uh, little animated bot that would say random things in a little speech bubble with HTML on your page, so like a little widget. Uh, there. And um, I was the first person in my high school to do an assignment, uh, turn in a web page uh, as an assignment and uh, and submit it for like an English class paper or something. Um, so I was I used to spend my lunch breaks uh, learning JavaScript and um, and programming uh, in it. I created like a little Mario game engine, Mario one oh, wow. uh, with with movable blocks that you could click and drag. And then the the bad guys would react to it. So as you could you could click and drag, and then the Goomba would like fall fall through, or Mario could jump over it. Um, mm -hmm. And that was back with the document.layer, document.all, oh, wow. i.e. six, maybe five point five, uh, and uh, Netscape Navigator, whatever that was uh, version back then. Um, and that's that's kind of what set me off onto um, programming. I before that, I kind of, I wanted to be an animator or something uh, in animation, and so my I started doing a programming and then getting into like Macromedia Flash stuff because that was big back then, and that that led to ActionScript, 
which was another uh, ECMA script based language. Mm-hmm. So I just I've been like just JavaScripty based languages all the way through. And so then I did for a while. I, I took uh, a break from JavaScript and uh, did ActionScript and Flash animation stuff for a while, and uh, was almost going to make that my my uh, day job too. But then programming sucked me back in, and I, I started learning uh, PHP. Oh wow! And then and then uh, PHP uh, they needed to create a web app, and then that that got me right back into JavaScript. I started doing JavaScript again heavily in 2005 for like my first real time, like my first real job job. Um, and that was at the, that was when Ajax was coined. Um, mm-hmm. And that's when uh, prototype JS uh, came up. So I remember that the, I was, uh, had just gotten hired and the devs that were on the team were like, have you heard of this thing called Ajax? And I was like, yes, I was already on the pulse. I was, uh, uh, listening to Ajaxian, or not listening to, but reading the the Ajaxian blog posts mm-hmm. back then, because that was the place to find all of your JavaScript news. Um, so I was, I, I got right back into it, um, and I remember being really intimidated by JavaScript libraries like Prototype JS. I thought it was super confusing and really hard. And there was that that first summer of 2005, I had to get uh, right back into the swing of things and. Um, I remember talking to Kangex. Uh, Kangex is his alias. His, it's, it's Yuri Zaistev. Uh, you can see him, find him on Twitter at, at Kangex. And uh, he, he was a, a contributor back then. Uh, and he said uh, that I should really start reading the uh, JavaScript uh, specification, the ECMAScript specification. Uh, and that, that got me into getting a, a real deeper understanding of why the language does what it does. And so it, it kind of removed a lot of the WTF from the language for me. Because I knew that there was always a rhyme or reason for something. And then there was actually a document I could go to and look up exactly why things do what they do. Um, so, so, so that let, was really cool. Nice. So let me uh, let me back you up a little bit. It sounds like yeah, you sure. you started out with web and JavaScript, you know, mm-hmm. kind of when JavaScript was a, a newer, a newish thing. You know, and then you you kind of came around through all these other technologies back to JavaScript. Which of those were your favorites, and what was it oh. about JavaScript that kind of got you back into? Oh, wow, this is really powerful, or this is really cool, or what whatever it was that made you want to do JavaScript. I had been tinkering with with uh, programming languages, but what I liked about uh, ActionScript uh, at the time after I transitioned to that was. That it was it, it was super powerful. You could create games with it, or you could script your animations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fun. Yep. I eventually created a tool that uh, was a game genie for Flash games that uh, you could use because at the time you could you could get these uh, decompilers that would show you uh, the variables uh, in the game, and then you could use JavaScript to manipulate the variables in the Flash game. Uh, there was an API that you could use. So I created a a, a tool. That you could, uh, for example, uh, change your lives to to infinite lives, or grow your character, <laughs> or shrink your character, or access even hidden characters that they didn't actually put in the game, but they had the animations for. Um, so that was super fun, and I, I like doing that that kind of tinkering stuff. Uh, uh, that also led me to a, a a page that you could probably find on uh, Web Archive called, I think it was called uh, Proto. Or maybe it was called Layer 51 or Proto 51. Mm-hmm. 
And that was, at the time, that was a, a web page that had uh, a lot of JavaScript or ActionScript snippets, but I mean, they're interchangeable. It was things for extending the built-in prototypes. So uh, adding array methods or string methods or regex methods. Uh, so I had already started doing that in ActionScript. And so that's why prototype, the JavaScript library, was so appealing to me because I was just like, oh, wow, I could just transition right to that. Um, my favorite, though, I mean, is JavaScript. I've been doing it for, I guess, uh, almost uh, almost 20 years. So time flies. But yeah, that's, that's my favorite uh, one. PHP was... It made me appreciate JavaScript more um, because at the time it didn't have that interface. It mm -hmm. had it. It was a, like they had the array underscore push kind of things for manipulating arrays instead of the nice dot syntax or later on the arrow syntax. So, but yeah, that's that's what got me into it was HTML uh, and then games. Some kind of game always pulled me back to it. So nice, <laughs> that's nice. So yeah, so you get back into JavaScript. Man, I remember the days of prototype. When I got into web development, it was it was a little bit after that. It was 2006, and so jQuery was just kind of starting to become a thing. And right. Yeah, and so I built some apps with prototype and some apps with jQuery. And yeah, I remember fiddling with Scriptaculous and a bunch of other stuff. I remember when John Resig... Uh... Uh, submitted an entry to Dean Edwards' DOM content. I think it was DOM content loaded, or it was an event listener uh, shim or library challenge. Uh, this was before, I, I think, before he did jQuery. Mm -hmm. And and I, I, it's kind of funny because you never think like oh, this. This person's going to create jQuery and change change everything. Uh, but sure enough, like you know, within a year later, jQuery was a thing. Um, and at the time, I did not like jQuery. I was very much prototype, uh, prototype all the things. Uh, <laughs> and eventually, I uh, grew to uh, respect jQuery because as a library, uh, I became a library author. And I really liked, I mean, like jQuery is the, the example of how to create a uh, successful library. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's taken over everything. It's it's on uh, ninety percent of the web pages on on the internet or something like that. Like it's it's crazy big. Um, so I, I I really dig uh, that now. But at the time, I was hardcore prototype. I didn't like MooTools either. Like I was very much a fanboy of of augmenting prototypes. And then over time, I realized that um, augmenting prototypes wasn't so great whenever you wanted to include other code on your page mm -hmm. um, because you would have conflicts and collisions and later on it would do things like block the language from advancing um, so super not cool to extend prototypes that you don't own um, <laughs> uh, and I, I they, that led me to work on something I, I, I um, this may sound familiar but I, I took prototype and I forked it and I made it faster and support more things which is essentially what I did with Lodash for underscore. Uh -huh. uh, but this was my first time doing it. And I did started that in 2008 and worked on it for three years and never got out of alpha. So I didn't know how to ship and like just push it out there for everyone. But I, I spent a bunch of time on it. I created something called Sandbox Natives, which got me into talking at conferences. Uh, Sandbox Natives uh, are still something that hasn't been uh, done a ton out there, but what it would do is um, instead of 
extending the prototypes on the built-ins for your current frame. It would import new built-ins, so like a new array constructor, a new date constructor, a new regex, a new string, uh, and then augment those. So then you could use an array or a date or a regex of this uh, Fuse.js, um, and it wouldn't collide or, or step on the built-ins of the current page. And so I, I would do that by, um, I used a cool ActiveX object called HTML file uh, in IE, uh, which would pull in uh, a, a brand new uh, built-ins, or I would fall back to an iframe, uh, dynamically create the iframe script, uh, the built-ins to, to become accessible, pull them off, and then remove the iframe so it wouldn't affect the frames count of your page. Um, and then, or, or I would do a wrapper form of it, which was the worst case, where I had to, to fake the, the new constructor. Um, and I eventually even created one for Node at the time, like 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. um, I created uh, uh, an extension there. Um, and that got me used to getting into like the library creator mode and committing regularly to a project uh, and having to deal with feature requests and, and all the stuff that kind of goes into maintenance of an online uh, open source project. Uh, and then uh, after that uh, fizzled out, it, uh, I uh, ended up uh, transitioning to performance and benchmarking, uh, and that which landed me my Microsoft job a couple of years later. So uh, it's, been, it's been quite a journey uh, from the flight sim or, fl or flight squadron webpage uh, back in high school. <laughs> so uh, what do you think it is that you've learned over, the, over all these years of, of doing this kind of work? You know, what, what would you expect somebody else to learn along a journey similar to yours? Well, I've always been, and I mean, it's on my, my bio, it says JavaScript tinkerer. I just like to poke at, at environments and kind of, I like doing things in an environment that uh, is something that, that goes against the norm or is something that is, is a little different. Um, so that's that's fun for me. So for example, uh, for example, the sandbox natives were something that no one had done before. It was super fresh. Like most people didn't know that you could create an entirely new built-in and import that in, and and it would work. Like you could have two array constructors that both produced arrays, but from different origins. Um, or with Lodash, the whole thing for that was that uh, a JavaScript library could be faster than the the built-ins in the browser, and so that was the the nice. Uh, uh, moment where devs kind of do a double take and go, wow, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know you could get faster than built-ins mm -hmm. um, there. So that was my, my challenge for that one. Uh, that's what I, I, I dig. And I, I, um, it's, it's something that I don't stress out a ton about. I know there's lots of um, devs that write about uh, burnout or uh, uh, feeling overwhelmed. Um, and I have a way of dealing with that. Uh, I tend to... Um, I do programming as a hobby, mm -hmm. and um, I program as a day job too. Uh, so, <laughs> so how do you separate the two, right? I, well, what I do is I incorporate a bit of both. Um, I incorporate my uh, my hobby into my day job, um, so it, it's fun. Um, and I do a little bit of programming a day, uh, so I don't get overwhelmed. I don't have this massive backlog of things to to accomplish. And sometimes it's just one commit a day. Uh, but doing that, uh, keeps 
the overwhelmed feeling at bay. Usually what I do is if I start to feel overwhelmed, I just say, hey, if I just start contributing a little bit over time, like over a week or over two weeks, that adds up to like 15 or 20 commits, uh, which is 15 or 20 commits more than I would have had if I didn't do anything, right? And it just takes about uh, 30 minutes or 15 minutes a day uh, to do uh, a little bit. Um, and so that's that's how I manage that. Uh, what I would say to, to others is um, work-life balance uh, has been a challenge. Whenever I first started open source work, um, my wife would say she was a JavaScript widow, uh, which was... <laughs> <laughs> that I spent I spent way too much time on open source, um, and it was a problem. Uh, I eventually learned, and I think this is something that everyone just kind of has to go through. Like whenever you're, whenever you get your first job, you end up. Uh, at least for me, it was. I would spend a lot of time at work, even when I didn't have to be, because I wanted to, um, uh, to to leave a mark there. And I didn't understand at the time that if you work that hard all the time, you're going to cause stress in your life and burn out. Um, and I, I learned to put things in, and prioritize things like family first and, 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 and downtime um, over something like open source. Like open source is bonus and uh, JavaScript and, and community work is, is bonus stuff, right? And so mm -hmm. it, shouldn't, it shouldn't take priority over real world uh, life and real, real world relationships. So I, I had to kind of learn that the hard way. Um, and, uh, eventually it's, it's worked out now I've, I've got, you know, it's been years now. So I've kind of gotten into the flow of things, um, and can, can handle it. Uh, but it was something that, that totally had to, to kind of work through. So that makes sense. It's kind of yeah. funny because yeah, you said JavaScript widow. And that reminds me, I'm, I'm involved in boy scouts pretty heavily. And so yeah, we have the term Scout Widow, which usually refers to somebody whose husband spends more yeah. time camping with the boys than they do sleeping in the bed. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a thing. I mean, like, it's yep. just all it takes is um, a little bit of priority change and it, it, everything kind of irons out and, and evens out. Now I, I'm really big into, uh, I took, so I, I, another thing I do, I mentioned that I, I code a little bit every day. Uh, that's turned into over a four-year commit streak. Oh, wow. Um, now, it's gamification is something I really dig. I like it. I like having the green boxes. It's it's I I wouldn't lose sleep if I lost the streak, uh, but for me, it it's, it it has helped other things in my life. So, for example, I realized that because I could do something like code commits, uh, that I could probably do something like exercise mm -hmm. <laughs> as well. Uh, and uh, that has that has that has helped me out. Um, I, I tweeted a little bit ago that I lost thirty pounds uh, just by uh, exercising and eating better. And that that discipline from from coding uh, has helped me uh, do that. Uh, and I wouldn't I, I probably wouldn't have been able to stick with it as well if I didn't have that established already. I'm really good at getting into a routine um, and following through with that routine now. Uh, and for me, for coding, that is. In the morning, I, I'll wake up and do uh, bug triage, mm -hmm. which is just closing all the issues that people have opened while I was asleep, uh, resolving those. Then I do uh, exercises and then exercising and then it's off to work. Um, and then in the evening after family time, 
uh, it is feature work on JavaScript things uh, is what I like to do. I'll spend maybe maybe an hour uh, uh, doing feature work, which is digging into whatever I'm I'm happen to be working on at the time and doing that. And that's that's about it for for JavaScript. I also I also work out in the evening, which is a little weird. I think I, I split my workout my exercising into to two as well. So just like my open source contributions, I divide it into two chunks of the day. Uh, and then at work, uh, so I work at Microsoft and I am um, on the web apps and frameworks team for Edge, mm-hmm. uh, which means I get to do a lot of open source uh, framework and JavaScript library contributions. That's either uh, focused on improving uh, IE or Edge or the web, uh, web platform for uh, uh, web apps on Windows. Um, Windows 10, especially. Uh, but even then, a lot of the times that, that, that reaches into things like node packages and other things like that, because JavaScript is part of everyone's build system nowadays. So I do a lot of that there too. Awesome. So one of the things that I usually talk to people about is their contributions to JavaScript. And it sounds like you're involved in a lot of different areas. One of the things that I think you're probably best known for, at least what we had you on the show for, was Lodash. Do you want to kind of give us the origin story of Lodash? Sure. I um, I was so this is a little a little weird. I I had started to contribute to uh, underscore uh, probably six months before I, I did Lodash, and uh, there I was trying to improve its IE support. Um, so I one of my things at the time was that if you're going to support an environment, you support it equally. For the other environments that you were supporting, so if you if you claim to support IE, it should behave the same in IE okay. that and and say like uh, Firefox at the time. Um, so I, I had done a pull request there to get that on par, and part of the requirements for the pull request was that it had to not regress performance of the library, and so that required me to to think about and um, optimize underscore to support this uh, the bug fixes to basically offset the cost of the bug fixes mm-hmm. um, well that pull request ended up not getting included into the library uh, and so I kept that on the back burner uh, for uh, another time uh, and then later on I started to work at a startup uh, called Yuxibu and they were working on a JavaScript flash runtime so this was a JavaScript library that could read the SWF format and display uh, content. And so uh, they were needing a utility library because, uh, you know, as something as complex as that would eventually have utilities that you need to, to use. And also, I was in charge of creating the standard library that would mimic ActionScript. So going back to ActionScript again. Um, and so that got me into the, the utilities frame of mind. And, I, and then I, I remembered like, wow, I really liked, you know, the, my stuff that I, I'd done on Fuse.js and Prototype. Um, and so I decided that uh, instead of creating a new library, um, instead of uh, reinventing the wheel, I would uh, base my, my library off of an existing project. And so I took underscore, since I had, had experience optimizing underscore um, and fixing the bugs in it, uh, and also at the time underscore was the de facto utility library. Uh, so I used that as the base. Um, and I, I leveraged it to do a JSConf talk where I talked about, uh, I think it was the hidden cost of built-ins mm-hmm. or the high cost of built-ins. And that's where I showed 
uh, vanilla JavaScript alternatives to built-ins. And those vanilla JavaScript alternatives became Lodash methods. Um, so that was, that's, that's how it happened. Uh, shortly after that talk, I actually re I started contribute, uh, in my, my first commit to Lodash. So I think that the talk ended on, uh, the conference ended on like the fourth or fifth and then like the sixth, I started uh, contributing to Lodash. Nice. Yep. Uh, what other things do you feel like you've contributed to the JavaScript community? Sometimes it's like, well, I've done these things. And sometimes it's, you know, these are the things that people recognize me for. And then this is my pet project that nobody ever knew about. Yeah. So for me, I, I was always pounding the pavement for uh, Prototype.js. And so I, I did uh, Prototype.js. I contributed uh, at one point in time my work on uh, Fuse.js ended up influencing uh, the jQuery event uh, system. So I, even though Fuse.js never got out of alpha, it, its implementation shaped things like uh, in the event system in jQuery, uh, which was super cool. So I dug that. Um, and also some of those things that I did actually went and, and shaped uh, Prototype 2 mm -hmm. and MooTools. So I, I've always been involved in like these, these utility-ish libraries. Um, I, my, I have a credit uh, on HTML5 shiv uh, or HTML shiv uh, uh, because I did one pull request to rewrite the thing uh, and give it some kind of feature. I've forgotten at the time, but now my Twitter handle is in the copyright header of that project. And every once in a while, I get tweets about it. So I've, I've done that one. Uh, I was really big into performance for a while and still am. Uh, so I, I created uh, Benchmark.js. Uh, which is what powered JSPerf uh, and now powers other other projects too. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm I'm kind of known as as the Perf person, and um, that actually started because uh, my wife uh, Kara she said um, she's a mechanical engineer. So there's a whole conversation about mm -hmm. I am a JavaScript developer. Uh, she's a a, a very um, accomplished engineer. And she looked at how JavaScript devs were measuring performance at the time. And at the time, they were measuring performance the best of three runs. that It would spit out a number, and that was how it would, benchmarking was being done, which is not very uh, sound. Right. Uh, and so she, she gave me a laundry list of things to do uh, to make a better benchmark. And so I followed them. I was asking her like uh, engineering 101 questions and, and, and statistical uh, statistic questions about this or that uh, just to try to get a better read on performance. And eventually it led to a, a, pretty, a pretty reliable benchmark library, uh, which has lasted for uh, seven years now or more. Um, so that's, that's where that came from. Uh, and eventually that led me to my, my work at Microsoft. So uh, when I got hired on at Microsoft, I became the Chakra Performance PM. Oh, okay. And uh, there I was in charge of, of uh, helping optimize uh, the JavaScript engine there. Um, so one of my big things was optimizing built-ins. Um, because, as you know, I, want, I, I don't like the fact that I can create a, a vanilla JavaScript method and have it be faster than a built-in. I want, I want to use the built-ins. Mm -hmm. uh, because they're handy and they don't require downloading extra code. Um, so I, I push to optimize built-ins uh, there. Uh, and I also started to get involved in the TC39 just at arm's length. 
uh, one of the reasons I joined Microsoft was so I could have access to changing the language. Um, and being, being a, an employee at Microsoft does give you that, that ability. Um, and so one of the things I did that I, uh, that I, I really get excited about is that I, I helped optimize object.assign. So initially, object.assign had language in it that would have required engines to implement a try-catch kind of behavior. Uh, which would mean that if it failed to assign a property, it would it would silently skip that property and continue on uh, with its iteration, something similar to that. Um, but the problem with that is that the, the performance overhead at the time was pretty significant for most engines. And so you would have gotten this method that was like jQuery's extend or like Lodash's uh, extend or assign, except it was 300, 600 times slower. Uh, and I did not want that. So I helped uh, at the July TC39 meeting back then. I, I showed up and said, like, hey, we should totally change this and drop this. Uh, and I got them to change it. So that was my my big win there, was getting the language changed to improve object.assign, which is a tiny thing. But I mean, like, that's a super handy method. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, other things I have tried to do for the language, I'm still I'm still kind of like an outsider when it comes to TC39. Um, and I kind of like being that way too. I don't want to get so involved uh, there that I that I become grumpy. Um, I, it's, for me, it's always a balance of being grumpy. I always think of myself as kind of like Oscar the Grouch, where I try to be, uh, try not to be so grumpy online uh, with with JavaScript uh, things. But yeah, that that was uh, that's probably one of my cooler things that I've done. Um, the uh, at least the, that I think is cool. The other thing that I dig was probably that Game Genie code back back in the day. That was super nice. I, I had it actually available for a time on a, on GitHub, and I took it down. I don't know if I've lost that forever though. Um, uh, another thing I did was uh, John Resig was trying to push. Uh, this was years ago. He was trying to push a better node list. So John Resig creates jQuery. jQuery has better ways of dealing with collections than the DOM does, and so he tried to improve the node list. So what I did was I took a hybrid approach of sandbox natives and the node list uh, constructor and created a, a more jQuery or array-like node list, uh, which is interesting because now certain browsers have like the, the dot for each method on the node list. So I think mm -hmm. that, that has kind of uh, that has gotten that uh, accomplished there. Um, and then the other thing I'm working on right now, which is, is, is not, uh, not quite ready for prime time yet is the, the new ESM loader. And that's, that's the, the thing I'm geeking out on right now. Nice. Yeah. Usually that's one of the other questions is what are you working on now? But mm -hmm. yeah, it sounds like you've, you've been involved at a lot of different levels in a lot of different projects. And, and we've talked to several people who are involved in TC39 and it's, it's just interesting how, that all comes together to form the language that we know as JavaScript. Yeah. So I, for, for me, I've, I've got very much the library or, or like web dev hat mm -hmm. on when it comes to, to language design. I tend to be reactive instead of, of, of uh, proactive. proactive. There you go. I got it. <laughs> instead <laughs> of proactive. Um, because you know, usually you're you're used to just dealing with what the browser or what uh, the browser vendors give you, right? I mean, you react to the bugs in the browser 
or the JavaScript engine with a library of some kind. So that's what I'm used to doing. Um, having the ability to, to switch the mindset and say, no, I can actually prevent the bugs from getting into the browser or the, the, uh, the, the runtime, is, it takes some getting used to. And part of me uh, still feels like, well, if I don't get it pushed through in the TC39 or uh, some standards body, then I'll always have the library option to fall back on. And I don't know if that hurts me um, because sometimes I, I feel like I don't fight hard enough for a, a certain feature or a certain enhancement because I figure I can always just add a library method. Mm -hmm. And um, because a lot of times dealing with standards bodies means a lot of, of message board threads, a lot of heated debates. And man, I'm always trying to just listen to easy listening music, trying to simmer down. Uh, I don't need all that stress, <laughs> especially for like an open source kind of like what I consider a bonus uh, activity. Like that's a lot of real world stress. Uh, so for me, I, I end up a lot of times just going like just shrugging, going, well, uh, you know, I got this library over here. I'll just address it over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So ESM loaders. Yeah. What, what are you doing there? So what is ESM? ESM is ECMAScript module. Uh, ECMAScript module is the import-export. So uh, if you use Babel, uh, you've got uh, a, a, a simulation of or an approximation of an ECMAScript module. Uh, so what I'm doing is, uh, as you all know, or you may not know, uh, browsers uh, like uh, uh, Firefox, Chrome, Safari, and Edge all have uh, ECMAScript module support either behind a flag, uh, in most cases, or uh, Safari has already shipped theirs, so, which means you can, use, you can use modules on the browser now. Mm -hmm. uh, super cool. But uh, that has not quite been finalized for Node yet. And so as part of... So another thing that I, I like to do, to do is, now that I have this library, Lodash, I want to use it to pull the ecosystem up. I want to, that's, that's, that's my, my power, I guess, my superpower by having that library is that I can use it to, if I set the minimum bar of support to node four, mm -hmm. then the ecosystem moves to node four. And I, I think that that is, that is the, the, my little piece that I can do is to help kind of pull, pull people and pull uh, the environments and support up and keep progress going there. Um, so what I want to do for, for Lodash 5 is move everyone to ES6 modules. Um, and so to do that, I needed a way to support that in Node 4 Plus. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, uh, ECMAScript modules is going to land in Node around approximate, this is roadmappy stuff, but Node 10. And mm -hmm. Node 10, Node 10 is rough guesstimate timeline for April 2018. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be in a flag in node nine whenever that ships. Um, so, uh, when that happens though, it's still only, only going to be in node 10 and not before node 10. Um, so that leaves me with like a hard choice, right? Like I can't release a library and say like, I'm only going to support the bleeding edge version of node. Mm -hmm. Um, that would have, that would have no adoption. Right. Um, most people are concerned about like three versions of Node, or so in this case, it's four versions of Node. Right. Because right today we have Node four, Node six, Node seven, Node eight. Right. Yep. Uh, and as as time goes on, so like when this thing lands, it'll be Node uh, eight, nine, and ten, mm -hmm. uh, which will be uh, the versions that you're concerned with. So 
I wanted something that I could use for Lodash. Uh, Lodash has the concern where I, I can't get the library any bigger uh, as, a, as an NPM package uh -huh. um, because uh, right now it's kind of critical mass. It, uh, it, it's, now the, the, it's not only the, the most directly dependent on uh, version or, uh, dependency in the NPM ecosystem, it's also the most dependent on version of Lodash is version 4 with the caret, so the Simver version of, of Lodash version 4. Uh, within the month, it's going to actually uh, lap the, the top used list. In, in other words, it's going to beat just version 4 will be the number one used package uh, besides Lodash itself. Oh, wow. and, version, and version 4, uh, so that'll be over 22,000 dependencies. Uh, version 4, though, is f over four megabytes on disk. And, and that's, that's, not like, that's not what's being shipped to the browser. That's not what's necessarily being used by the user. That's just, I have 600 modules in there. I have the functional programming alternatives of those modules as well. I have a core build in there. I have the minified builds in there. You know, I've got all this stuff. And all of them have like the the inline documentation and all of that stuff in this this package, right? So that adds up to like four megabytes. Uh, but it turns out, Lodash is used in lots of places. And so one project, if you look in your Node modules folder, you might have, I don't know, twenty plus copies of Lodash in there. And so that's twenty times four plus megabytes. It starts to eat into space. Uh, on on hard drives in in space uh, restricted environments like AWS Lambdas or Azure mm -hmm. Functions, um, and so file size has become a real big concern to me. So I can't do something like uh, uh, the 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 hybrid package where I ship my source as ES6 and also as Common JS. I don't want to do that. That just essentially doubles the size of my package, right? And so if I, that would be like eight megabytes down. That's that's I'm not doing that. So I needed a way to deal with that. And so the way to do that is to just ship ES6 code, full stop. That's it. No no transpilation, no other forms there. Uh, and what I'm going to do is also ship the code gzipped. So gzipping is something that works in the browser. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that everyone kind of uses and, and almost takes takes for granted because you you. You go to a page, it downloads, and, and it just so happens that it's being gzipped for you, um, which, which significantly reduces the size of the JavaScript uh, across the pipe, um, the, the connection. Uh, but that same kind of reduction can be done on your uh, packages on disk as well. And so Node supports gzipping um, internally, uh, but doesn't have a way to load the actual module, so I'm going to add support for that. So what what it's uh, what's allowed me to do is take Lodash from four megabytes down to ninety kilobytes oh, on wow. package size. Yeah, it's super super significant. Um, uh, I'm, I'm geeking out about that. Yeah, but but beyond that, it's also going to be ES6 uh, modules, um, and so mm -hmm. I needed a way to do that, and that's where this loader comes in. Uh, and the loaders, uh, again, I, I went looking for, uh, I'm not an expert in all things. I tend to find projects with people who are very passionate about a very, a given subject and latch on to that project. Uh, so in this case, I went looking for a project that had an established ESM loader. And I'm going to pull up the name of that real quick before I forget. And it was called Reify. Um, and Reify is developed by... I'm going to get his name, Ben Newman of Meteor. 
JS. So Meteor mm. has had ESM loading uh, in in its in its framework for over a year, and uh, so this thing has been hammered on, uh, and so I use that to base my loader off of. Uh, and so what this does is uh, it taps into Node's internal module loading hooks and allows uh, me to intercept your source code for your module um, and then interpolate that uh, and change that to where I can translate your import-export uh, into something that CommonJS can understand. Uh, so I do that on the fly uh, and then cache the result for subsequent loads. Uh, so you get... Um, uh, ES6 syntax in Node 4 Plus, uh, and it loads in like microseconds too. So it's not like a, a heavy transform, something that like a, a Babel or other kind of, of big transform would do. This is just import export. It handles live bindings as well, um, and so I'm 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 working with uh, uh, on that. Uh, I originally had it uh, uh, not follow the spec in some areas, but that got me uh, some pushback from the TC39-related folks, and also mm -hmm. the Node-related folks. And so now I'm working to make it 100%, well, as spec-compliant as I can uh, for uh, the restrictions that are there. Um, which, But that, that also means that the code that you write can be Babel transpiled just fine, uh, can work with Webpack just fine. So this code that you write just works uh, in all the other things that you were using, except now it works in Node 4+. Plus. Uh, without you having to do anything else. Uh, and what's great is that your, your uh, consumers, so uh, people who consume your package, uh, don't have to worry about what your code's written in. They don't have to know that your code is ES6 or that you're consuming ES6 and also CommonJS-related uh, code. Right. So it's, it's super handy there. Um, what's also nice about it is I've done some work to improve its performance. So it used to take, and I'm using Lodash ES as its benchmark, uh, Lodash ES has over 600 modules, so it's a good benchmark for like a worst-case scenario if you want to load up everything. Um, and I, it used to be over 1.7 seconds to load all of that, and I've gotten it down to 100 milliseconds, um, which is on par with CommonJS. Uh, so performance is great. Um, I've uh, also worked on reducing its package size. So just as I said, uh, Lodash is 90 kilobytes. Uh, the ESM loader itself has no dependencies uh, whenever it's finished, um, and it will be less than 40 kilobytes. So this zero-dependency 40-kilobyte package that you can take a dependency on will then allow you to have import-export syntax uh, for uh, Node 4+. Plus. It's super, super neat. Cool. All right. Cool. Well, the last part of the show is usually picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. 
So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. You Uh were on the show like four years ago or so. I don't know if you remember (laughs) the picks. But yeah, are there any things you want to shout out about? It can be I do. T- TV I do shows want to or shout anything. Out. Yeah. Well, mine are going to be programming related, but it's okay. okay. Awesome. Uh, the the first one is the JS Foundation. So if you go to the website js.foundation, uh, the JS Foundation is a, a nonprofit that helps JavaScript libraries in the community. So, for example, Lodash is part of the JS Foundation. Uh, Webpack is part of the JS Foundation. Grunt is part of the JS Foundation. Um, they offer, uh, they've done things in the past like uh, workshops for, for new programmers or people interested in programming. They've helped me uh, with uh, Lodash related uh, issues. For example, they Back when uh, left pad was the thing, remember that whole left pad issue? Um, I got Lodash trademarked, and so they helped me do that. Um, I don't know anything about any of that, and they were they were able to to handle that with uh, lawyers and all of that stuff. So I would say check out the JS Foundation, um, which leads me into the newest member of the JS Foundation, uh, which is a project called Sonar or Sonarwall. So if you go to so <laughs> like so. So this is a tricky URL because it's it's sonarwall.com, sonarwall. It is a linting tool for the web, and this is something my friends uh, at Microsoft have released uh, open source for people. Um, and it allows you to uh, lint uh, your website, and it gives you uh, suggestions and, and uh, tips for improving the performance of and uh, compatibility of your website. That's, that's really cool. Um, I love the name. I'm yeah. super jealous of it. So uh, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks myself. The first one is there's a group, or the, I'm going to pick an individual. He's not a programmer, but he has been a mentor to me over the last few years. I was part of a mastermind group that he ran, and I just didn't have time for everything I was doing, so I wound up uh, bowing out of that. But uh, his name's Aaron Walker. He actually has a book called View from the Top. He and another person that he works closely with also uh, authored a book about mastermind groups. Uh, that would be Tom Schwab. And uh, Tom also has a book on podcast interviews. So anyway, I, I've just kind of been thinking about, man, those guys are awesome. And, you know, how can I let people know how awesome they are knowing that, you know, they, they have limited space in the mastermind groups and coaching that they do and things like that. And I realized that, that yeah, th- this is one way that you can get involved. So Hey, uh, if you're out there as a business person looking to be involved in podcast interviews, go to Interview Valet, which is Tom's company, and they can help you get booked on a podcast. I think they're focusing in specific verticals right now, and programming is not one of them. So, you know, just kind of be aware of that. But they they do work in other areas. And then, yeah, go check out those books if you're interested in being a podcast guest and getting the word out about your company or your uh, project. And then go read View from the Top, which is just kind of a, a life manual for, um, you know, being successful. JD, if people want to follow up with what you're doing these days, uh, you know, just check out what you're thinking about. You know, do you have a Twitter account or a GitHub account that you post to I frequently? have both, and I post frequently to both. And so you can find me on GitHub at uh, Jay Dalton, and you can find me on Twitter at Jay Dalton as well. Well, that's easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. 
Yeah, and really looking forward. I think I think we're going to get you scheduled on JavaScript Jabber so that we can talk more deeply about ESM loaders. Yes. Of course, looking at the schedule and the way that things are working out right now, um, we're recording this at the end of June. We'll probably wind up recording with JD sometime in August. That's for, perfect. For JavaScript Jabber. And uh, they'll probably come out about the same time. <laughs> so, yep. Anyway, we're looking forward to that. And uh, thank you so much for all you've done in the JavaScript community. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.